Hello friends, welcome back to the podcast. In today's conversation, we have Mark Spencer. We are also joined by former hitting intern Nick Askew, who is now the Director of Player Development and Operations at Georgia Tech, as well as former pitching trainer Chase Cunningham, who is now pitching trainer with Tread Athletics. Mark founded a data analytics and software company that works with True Temper Baseball in their bat fitting process. One of the questions I always got after inventing the spinner arm care tool was how do I use this? So I came up with the foundations of throwing online course. This is just a one hour mini course uh, outlining not only how you can implement the spinner or how we use the spinner on our training floor, but how you can develop a full arm care throwing program uh, to get the most out of the players on your team, the players in your gym. Uh, This is just your get started guide uh, with throwing programs and arm care. Go check out that course on my website, chadlongworthonline.com. I'll put the link in the description. If you like this episode and would like instant access to all of the roundtable discussions, you can join LPD Plus. It's an online coaching community filled with these discussions as well as drill videos, uh, sample programming, anything for the curious-minded coach that's looking for better ways to train hitters, pitchers, baseball, and softball. Thanks again for tuning in. And Without further delay, let's get on with the show. I kind of gave um, Mark your background bio to do before we got on. Kind of a free agent coach currently. Um, yeah. Just a freaking learning machine, Nick Askew is. Doesn't like awesome. bird drills. So, um, <laughs> we can get going. We can get going, Mark. Um Yeah. Obviously, I think the question on everybody's mind is um, I would love for you to start by outlining the correct way to order a burrito bowl at Chipotle. Yeah. So it's important. It's important we cover this from the beginning. So let me let me kind of put it this way. If I were to ask you for some money and you gave me a dollar. And I said, okay, now give me some more. Now, in my mind, I want $1,000. But since you gave me a dollar, guess what you're going to give me again now? You're going to give me another $1 bill. But in my mind, by saying I want more, I want 1000 and you're only giving me. So there's a, there's a disconnect there. So when you're at Ch- Chipotle, okay, and you're ordering, when it comes time for the cheese, this is, a, this is a big thing. Okay. They're going to put cheese on there. Here's the thing. I want $1,000 of cheese, but they're putting a dollar. Now, I can stand in line and make the line go out the door by every time they're putting, quote, unquote, another dollar of cheese. I'm trying to get to $1,000, and they're going dollar at a time. So that's going to take forever, right? Like, if I say, I want some more cheese, what does that mean? So here's how you get around that. It's really simple. They're going to they're gonna put cheese on it, and then they're going to look at you. And so here's what you say that, that speeds everything up. You say, I want so much cheese that I can't see anything else. <laughs> That's a good hack. That's a good so hack. what happens, and you other stuff underneath it. Now, here's the big caveat. If... If they were making the burrito and I couldn't see them make it, I probably wouldn't do this because um, 
they might not like enjoy it as much. But since I'm watching the process, um, it always gets to chuckle the people next to you, by the way. But when you say, um, I just want so much cheese that, um, you know, you can't see anything else. They're going to kind of roll their eyes and start putting cheese on there. Now, here's where you got to be strong because instinctively, hopefully you guys are nice enough to not try to boss people around. If, I've always said instead of military service, everyone needs to work in the food industry for one year. Okay. Right. So you're going to now the person behind the, you know, making the, the burrito artist, however one would call it. Now they're a little annoyed and I don't want to make them mad, but I'm like, and so what I have to do sometimes is they'll put a bunch of cheese in there and then they'll look at you. Right. They'll kind of look up and look at you. And sometimes you have to go, I don't know. I can see some meat there. You got to go there because even though it creates tension, but the biggest hack is when they look at you for the cheese, instead of saying more and they look at you and say, I want some more. And they look at you, no, a little more, cut all that out and say, I want so much cheese on it. I can't see anything else. And you're done. That's it. That's how you do it. Thousand dollars worth of cheese advice right there. It's valuable. Yeah. So yeah. you, did you tell me this? I don't know if you told me this or somebody else told me this. When going to Chipotle, and if you want double meat, you don't tell them double meat from the get. You let them put the first meat on, and then you tell them, I want double meat, or you want, you know, I want chicken and steak. Alexa. Alexa. No, so you this actually, actually you can get double meat, but if they know you're getting double meat ahead of time, they kind of they kind of cheat you on the first bit. Well, you get more meat. You this is me from that? Coach Coxie. No, this is Coach Coxie. Okay. Okay. Maybe I knew we were in some conversation about this on Twitter. Yeah. So what her hack is, is if you go double meat, you get the two kinds of meat. Yeah. That's a good one. That's the key. If but you don't go tell double, them you want double until they put the first on. Yeah. And then also go, you can't go two carne asadas. You got to go carne asada and chicken. I'm with you. You know, I yeah, mean, you got to go that way. And yeah. if you don't get double meat, if you split it half, if you split the meat in half, if you just say, I want half meat, half steak, half chicken, you do get a little more. They do give mm -hmm. you a little more on a single yep. serving of meat. So that's a key. Yeah. That's key at Chipotle. Well, thank goodness that comes before the cheese. Yes. Because if, if that came after the cheese and I was demanding all that cheese, trust me, I'd be getting one piece of meat at yeah. a time. Yeah, they would, they'd be flipping you the bird. They wouldn't like that. Cheese. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, my question is, like, they put the cheese on before they put the other ingredients, like the lettuce, right, and and maybe some more cheese or uh, pico. Could you put the cheese on after all of that so that yeah. you have more cheese? Yeah. So so I go I go the corn salsa, okay, and um, so I go I go the carne asada, corn salsa, and then the cheese is next, right? And and I realize that's the last thing I've got to ask for. I, I'm not going to get anything else. After I've made everyone back there so mad by doing this, and I try to do it with a smile, yeah. but you can imagine how it comes across when you're kind of bossing them like that. When you order so, on the, I wonder if you order on the app, if you can oh, write this is that the worst. in there. You can't. Can you, you can't write that in there? Like, hey, no. make sure on the cheese, I can't see anything else on, below it. So I try to that say, I, th I, th I tried to ask for extra cheese. I mean, are you kidding me? What even close? Yeah. I can't do I've got to go, go in, in the store. Space. Yeah, you got to go there's in. Yeah. Here's one more thing I was going to bring up. There's about a month ago, you posted on Twitter how to cook a steak. And listen, dude, I tried it 
I've, I've cooked steak probably three times. I got a big green egg. You got to slow cook that thing so it's rare all the way through, seared on the outside. Dude, you're onto something there. Yeah. You're so, reverse sear method. So, yeah, that was something. Um, I, I had I had always um, made steaks to where I would sear it on the pan. 100%. Yeah. And sear it, sear it. And then I'd put it in the oven nope. and, a little, and a little bit of red wine and cook it that way. Well, now I do the opposite. So, I take the raw piece of meat, season it, salt and pepper. That's yep. it. And then in the oven at 275, yep. just regular oven, 275 for 45 to 50 minutes. Yep, long time. And then, you, then you take it out, 10 minutes of resting, and then you go sear, sear. So one minute each side, and you serve it hot. I think you and Marty went back and forth on this that day, and I was just kind of watching this conversation like, that's it. I'm doing it's, that. There's no bullseye. It's top yeah. to bottom, whatever temperature I am, you want. I am, yeah. I am a sponge and a learner, and I'm going to learn from these two guys and cook <laughs> my steak like this the next time I do it. And I've done it like two or three times after that. Yeah, and you get the, the, whatever whatever temperature you want is top to bottom. That's not yeah. like all oh, the middle part. It's like it's I, had, the- I had steak last night before the round table, the Q&A round table we do on Sunday night, and I had to rush it because I was running out of time. And it wasn't it. This isn't it. Like you no. can't, you can't no. section. No, no. It's like player development. If you're in a <laughs> hurry. Right. You got, that's right. Yeah. That's right. If you're on a timetable, you got no chance. So if you're if you've made it through this far and you've gotten that value out of this conversation, Rick, <laughs> Mark Spencer from Jacksonville, Florida, with true true diamond science batch, just overall uh learning guy with a background in golf, which I want to touch on because we we talked a little bit of golf with with Tim the other night, um, but I think we're going to start. Nick, if you want to, if you want to jump into some bat fitting, or you want to, you want me to, you want me to bat fitting first, or what do you, what do you think? Either or. I those so, are two topics I'm interested in. Oh, so Mark, I'll I'll start with this. Tim was telling a story the other night where and and we were on the topic. I guess I could back, go back a little further. We had we had Connor Dawson on. Uh, Man, couple, awesome couple, yeah, great guy. Yeah, and I said Connor. I said Connor, what's the strangest? Because he's a big weighted back guy, big variable training guy. I, I said, what's the weirdest weighted back that you've ever used in training? He said, man, he said I was at this. He said I was at this junior college in in Iowa. We had this old farmer guy that would that came out and said, hey, I can make bats. What do you guys want? And Connor was like, really. You know, and so what he did, you know, the cylinder that the bat comes in, just it comes in that round cylinder. Connor said he just like cut it off at like 30 inches and they hit with the cylinder part. Oh, the billet? So the yeah. they hit the billet? Just the billet, like the big round billet. And I, and I said, you know, awesome. what, I said, what did you what did you see in, in that? And he said, you know, what? I started just to see guys start to really use their body and turn it. And so I got into the discussion with him, and then we got it into the discussion with Tim. I said, Tim, we are just scratching the surface on grip thickness and grip variations. I said, and then I brought up you, and I said, I said I've talked to Mark about this several times, and my understanding of grip thickness comes from like fat grip putters. When fat grip putters came around, and, and they, they were calming guys hands down through impact. And I said, you know, I've done it in training. I haven't made it, obviously, the, the billet, but like a fat grip where we have handsier players that want to maybe flip the barrel 
where where we where we we thicken the grip up in training. And so Tim tells the story. He says, you know, I'm I'm beating my head up against the wall with this kid down down in Mark's cage and 45 minutes and Mark's just sitting over there and I can't. Okay, I don't know where this story's going. I hope it ends well. <laughs> no, it does. He said I can't get him to do any, like we. Can't, he said we're throwing everything at him. He said Mark gets up, goes in the back, comes back out, and hands him a bat. And says, "Here, try this." And instantly, like the kids start squaring balls up, and, he, and it's like whatever they were working on was all of a sudden the kid was ju- it just kind of clicked for him. I don't know if it was more in low to bat. That's kind of not the point, but but that's going to kind of transition us to into like we're just scratching the surface and what what we kind of understand, especially in baseball, in grip weighting, in grip thickness, in bat balancing. I mean, you want to go into that, uh, take the floor and run with it, and then Nick can kind of throw any lob any questions up he's got for you but that's kind of where we went in with tim so that. um and you can talk about it from a golf perspective too I, I would love to hear that yeah it's so yeah so basically i mean there's a lot to unwrap there I, you're basically going to react to the dynamics of the hands and what's happening with the hands and then the hands concurrently are reacting to what they're holding, if that makes sense. So what I mean by that, there's basically a small chain of events to where I can manipulate the, the, the path and movement of the bat with, um, with balance point relative to the hands, and then I can manipulate the body relative to the size of the grip Interesting. if that makes sense yeah. and it's not just the size of the grip um top to bottom it's each hand independently and that's that's the part that's tough to unwrap um for baseball because yeah because in golf we can manipulate i'll back up so in golf i think people would really be shocked at the um the dynamics of each player on the PGA tour, each player's grip and the conf- way their their grip is configured. Um what they gotta realize is that you know they they have basically and we refer to it in golf as top hand, bottom hand. Yep. And so what you'll hear a player, and this is one thing that's 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 wild to me, is you ask a tour player, you, like right now, if you ask Tiger Woods, hey Tiger what do you what's your driver configuration they'll tell you um my driver's a d4 swing weight um it's 44 and a half inches long um i use a 74 gram shaft uh tipped half an inch and it's um you know he'll tell you the brand of the, of the shaft is and then he'll tell you and then i do one extra wrap under the right hand okay like a golfer can break down exactly the equipment they use and the balance points and all that info. And I've asked professional baseball baseball players, hey, what kind of bat do you use? Uh, I think it's a Rawlings. I mean, or they may say, oh, I use the, you know, the, the 271 or the 110. Yeah. Okay, what's your balance point? I don't know. What's the grip diameter? I don't know. You know, so there's a long way to go. But basically – the, the big picture of, of how to manipulate a player's movements in the bat path is 
the the bigger you make the hand, the grip area, the less active that hand or hands are going to be. So, um, Nick, if you've got a player or, you know, Andrew or, you know, uh, Chase, whoever wants to jump in, but if you want to kind of give me a player and scenario, but basically if you've got a guy that's top hand dominant, okay, loses connection early in the swing, I'm talking baseball now, loses connection early in the swing, um, uh, you know, probably a negative bat path, angle of attack, things like that. Across their body, probably left or you're right-handed or. We're losing connection. Right. That means I want to quiet yeah. the hands. So if yeah. I want to quiet them, I got to make the hands, you know, the grip bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're, but here's the thing: you don't have to build the entire grip up. It might be just the top hand, which is we're, I know for baseball, it's it's pretty foreign, but it 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 really makes makes a huge difference when you hey, what's up, big dog? So hi. it really makes a makes a big difference um, with that. So it starts with the grip size diameter and things like that. And, and the other thing being asking players to not just because a guy's a, a power hitter, don't pigeonhole him into an end loaded bat because the balance point, you know, whether a bat is balanced or end loaded has everything to do with path has nothing to do with the um, mentality of the player. When you say power hitter, that's the player's mentality, right? Well, I don't, that has nothing to do with the dynamics of balance point. Right. Um, do you see, do you, I mean, this is kind of a broad question, but like you can produce bat speed in, in a couple of different ways. And obviously bat speed coupled with acceleration are better. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see, do you see guys that, that produce high acceleration with their bat speed being more inloaded guys? Or just it's kind of relative to contact. I mean, so <laughs> load of question. Um, you've got to pay attention to this. Is where di- the dynamics of hitting a moving ball are just create so many different yeah scenarios and aspects of this. In, yeah, in baseball than golf. But I, what I like, what I like when I marry the two, when I listen to Tiger talk, Tiger talked yesterday breaking that kid's swing down, and I think TPI retweeted about vertical force and how the kid early hip extended. The acceleration phase of both moves is basically identical. The orientation yeah. of where you're going is different. You're going to the ground with a golf club, and you're not going to the ground. So your side bend and tilt is a little different. But how it accelerates is exactly the same. Yeah, this, the kinetic chain of generating that rotation is one hundred percent the same, and so, yeah. and so, I, it's interesting. Um, how do you do? You I mean, you're fitting a lot of people now. Do you um, do you see? I mean, maybe you can talk about it. Maybe you can't. Do you see? Um, you know, a little more. Do you do you fit people like that? Where you where you add a little more in the top hand and the grip? Because I know. I know with true now you can get the two grip sizes, but it's it's a little more in depth than that. It's a lot more, yeah. So we, you know, true does. I don't want to make this a true infomercial, but sure. true does right. offer a couple of different grip sizes. But in, invariably, what I do is I I'll just give the parent and the player, uh, excuse me, advice on on that, and I keep some extra grips with me, and I'll even right there in the spot build up just the top hand, build up just the bottom hand, and they'll see the difference on the blast sensor just like that immediately. Um, it, it obviously, as you can imagine, 
it's a very foreign concept. So they've already spent 20, 25 minutes with me doing something they've never done, which is get fit for a bat. Right. Now I kind of throw this on top of the end. So you kind of got to know your audience. But um, right, for sure, you know, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time specifically, you know, talking with with um, with Monty Lee yep. at, at Clemson and, and James Ramsey at Georgia Tech and bounce a lot of stuff off them. And they've super open minded guys and, and and they're trying something with their players, which is fun. And but, yeah, it's I'm seeing the same dynamic changes um, with with Monty at Clemson, the my you know favorite one. He has a guy that's I think he's like six foot four, um, double XL batting gloves. You know, he was using, but because he's a big, strong, powerful guy, you know, he's always going to an inloaded bat. Um, and then got the dynamics of the bat, and he's it's the standard size grip. He's using a standard off the rack size grip. He's got double XL batting gloves. He's a big dude. Yeah, and he's got a positive twenty degree attack angle. Um, and then Monty says he's got a big hole at the top of the swing. Well, yeah, no kidding, right? If they just throw him fastballs up, he's got no chance. So I actually had him. Um, so they're a different brand. They're Easton. I'll just say it. They're, yeah. they're a different brand than us. And so um, Easton makes their, of their BB core line, their most balanced bat is their, I think it's the ADV um, bat. So that's their balanced bat for contact hitters. Well, guess what that bat did for this kid? It took his attack angle from 20 to 10. You, you, oh, yeah, the other thing was we built his grip up. So right. Monty, Monty built his grip up to double the size of the grip and then went to that bat, and his attacking went from 20 to 10, and he's just immediately roping hard line drives middle, right over the L screen. And, and in the it was playing a lot. He's not it was instant. a lot in the zone. Yeah, it was, and so then he out. was in the cages, and he went to do, uh, the way the story goes, he went out to the field. They were doing live ABs with their pitchers. And he went and hit a bomb <laughs> with the, like, with the contact with the contact hitter's right, back, you know, right yeah. with a fat grip on it. What what's the reaction? I mean, I I talked to Tim, and you know, in training, if you give them a very oversized, like an oversized grip, and you give it to them, all of a sudden it's like the wheels start turning. It's like I don't even know what to do with this, and I imagine. For a guy that's that skilled and you double his grip size and he puts it in his hand, it, I mean, it feels like it feels like you're holding like this cup right here and right. all of a sudden you're just having to like turn it as fast as you can. So you got to know to your audience, right? I mean, yeah. uh, it, I, you, I think you that, get that reaction though when like you start kind of – You got you to warn the up. player – yeah, you got to warn the player what you're doing. You got to and you got to be honest with them. And say, look, here's the deal. Um, I'm going to give you something that's going to feel awkward, and if it feels really awkward, that means we're making changes, which might be good, might not be good. We don't know. Right. If you can really open their mind up, if you can give them approval to make mistakes and and let them know and give them the freedom to be able to make a mistake or whatever, they'll loosen up and you just tell them, look, we're just going to try this. Um, you do need to kind of tell them what you're getting into. Because it's going to be a very foreign feel. But once you do that, and they have the freedom and they're open-minded, the cool thing about Monty and his program at Clemson is they're, they're all super progressive thinkers. All these kids are. Yeah, So great. he said, he was saying, yeah, Mark, don't worry about it. My, my guys can handle it. And um, so it was kind of cool to follow their their progression. He said that all the guys they were fitting were, were doing some of the stuff. And, 
and changing bat models and links. And um, I just wish it wasn't a competitor, but you know, I, right, I think sure. that he's, he's such a, a good guy. And if I can support a, a progressive mind like his, uh, I'm going to do it. So right. that. Yeah. Did you have, did you have a specific question to that? Um, Cause I could go on like all evening about. Grit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I did want to give you an example, Mark. Yeah, that we're currently working with. And also, I wanted to ask you a bit more specific question in the process of bat fitting. Um, so one player working with now, he's an upcoming senior in high school. And think about his three-dimensional disc, his swing plane. Um, he has a tendency to, like like you were talking about earlier, to work, break that hand over. I, guess, I, can't, I can't see if you can see my... Yeah, I can see you. Yeah. yeah, like he's just kind of breaking his hand over. So that disc... As he's turning, he just kind of like, and as he's turning over, he also loses that spine, uh, spine angle. So his stability score is also a bit lower, right in the 80 range. Uh, so not only is his uh, stability score a bit low, but also he's like um, breaking that swing plane. And I was wondering about um, the grip that might be effective for him. And it was interesting that you said that um, you could um, alter the grip size or diameter like per hand i've never thought about that or heard about that like maybe the bottom hand being a little bit thinner than the top hand yes so like, is that something that you, what would you do with that 100 percent. so basically whichever hand you feel like is too active for that player to slow it down build that one up love it okay and so um i want to try that and you, yeah. how do you like in terms of build up, are you talking about like athletic tape? Just take athletic tape. Like, what would be like a good experimental um, tape? You caught me without a bat in here. Hold on a second. Oh, hey, um, I think you're gonna like this driver club head cover. I like, I like the background too. We could talk about Baker Mayfield too if you want. You can look at that. Look at that. That is, that. Oh, it's the cover. Hey, so I, right. sent Mark, I sent Mark spinners one time, and on the box <laughs> I put Baker Mayfield fan club. And then uh-huh, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm going to take off this goofy little um, background real quick. Hold on a second so you can kind of no, see that. it's not better. goofy at all. Boomer. We got we to support college football. Yeah, we do. I can't wait to see it. Let's see here. Who's, who's the helmet autographed by? Oh, so um, whenever a Jaguars player here in town um, signs with the uh, Jaguars, or a Sooner signs with the Jaguars, I get their autograph. So that's uh, D.D. Westbrook no just autographed Jaguars, it, and so has like uh, Aaron Colvin. So, okay. all right, cool. So um, on the on the grip, what was the question again about the top hand, kind of top hand rolling guy? Yeah, so when you build up the grip, make sure I don't hit anything up here. Okay, so when you build up the grip, well, I'll have the player, you know, grip it, and then I'll have him take off the bottom hand. So let's say this is the, you know, he's going to, he's a baseball player swinging like this. I'll just have him take off, and then I'll just, you know, get a Sharpie or just mark right there. And then if you've got, you're going to have to invest a couple dollars in a, in a few um, lizard skins or whatever. All but, kinds of grips, yeah. But just start it there and just build up the top hand starting there so have them take the grip have them take the bottom hand off and just start the grip there mm-hmm. and how much would you build up just i mean is it is it, or is I would, it experimenting if you buy lizard skins get the get the thickest one they make okay so i think it's the 
maybe. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just just have those on hand because I will tell you, ninety nine percent of players have grips that are too small. Mm. Not even close. One hundred percent. Because think about it this way: same thing with golf clubs. When you bought a mass produced golf clubs, they purposely make them too short and too light for players, uh, and the grips too small because it's easier for you to um, for someone that's a little bigger to adjust to a club that's too small than it is to adjust to a club that's too big or too heavy. Same thing as baseball bats. They make all the bats a little bit too uh, thin a grip and too short. Bats that are, say they're 30, are really 29 and a quarter, 29 and a half. I measure them. We've got a database of uh, thousands of youth bats, thousands of brands and models. It's not even close. Tonight, I'm not going to name the brand. Tonight, there was a, a 30 drop 10 that um, I measured at 28 and a half inches long. Mm. It's a $400 bat. Ouch. Um, so, did you have another grip thickness question, Nick, or did you have another yeah. part of that? Because I got, I got one too. Uh, okay, mine, mine's probably maybe a little bit more broad than grip thickness. So, if yours is, if, if yours oh, is, you go first. Okay. Um, so, I was curious about just the process of bat fitting um, in, in terms of equipment, how that affects performance. Um, like, if you're obviously you have. Um, like swing metrics and you're using uh, a swing sensor to understand the effects of this bat and grip um, to a hitter's swing speed, acceleration, swing plane, et cetera. Um, could you like be specific about, about the, the metrics you're looking for? Maybe yeah. what swing sensor you like to use best? Um, like what the, the environment looks like? Is it just more like front toss? Is it overhand BP? Is it like how many reps do you take? Like, like what's the data set got to be for you to know like the true effects of this, like all the kind of more of those details, if you don't mind. Yeah, no worries. So um, the process that we do at true. So just to let you know the, the, the history of, of me and, and my company and true diamond science. So if you're a golfer at all, and um, you've heard of true temper shafts, uh, true temper is the number one shaft manufacturer in the game. They have a little over 90% market share in the PGA Tour. They make the Dynamic Gold Shaft, uh, Project X. They make that. Um, the Hazardous Driver Shaft that you see in all the big-name clubs and the drivers, they make that. Um, decided to get in baseball a couple years ago uh, because they were doing OEM work for a few other brands. And they said, well, hey, let's bring this golf-fitting algorithm and, and, and process over from golf into – that, you know, they've been doing for years in golf and bring it to baseball bats. Um, uh, Nate Radcliffe used to work for Nike golf when I was at Nike golf and he was the uh, engineer in, in charge of basically making the metal woods, um, as hot as possible. And, um, so he's an engineer, you know, stick and ball, uh, science engineer kind of guy. And so when Nike got out of the club business, um, true tipper called and said, Hey, we got a little project going on. He jumped on board, and then he got in touch with me a couple of years after that uh, when he heard I was in baseball and, you know, doing in the data side. <clears throat> so we started talking, and then I saw their fitting algorithm and stuff, and I said, hey, you know, we can automate all of that. And so that's where my company, Sports Forensics Stat Manager, came in, and we built the software that automates the entire fitting process for Truth. So to your question, 
what is the bidding process? So what we do is we measure the player height, weight, wingspan, grip strength. So for grip strength, we use a, um, it's a physical therapy tool. You can measure the, I would highly recommend, um, getting that. Chad, what I will do is I'll send you a picture of, and of thermometer, yeah. yeah, 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 there you go. Yeah. And yeah. then we do a med ball throw and that goes into our algorithm. Um, and then we measure the actual bat that they swing now. Um, the actual weight and the actual length. Um, and we log that. So now after thousands of fittings, I've got every brand and every model out there. And I know who's the least accurate and who's the most accurate. Um, Cause we have 22 fitters around the country plus retail locations that are doing this. Every time they fit someone, every single metric we take, we're keeping in our database. So I get a kid. I know what month he was born. I know what year he was born. I know his height, weight, wingspan, grip strength, med ball throw. I know what type of bat he's swinging, not based off of what it says on the bat, but the actual length and weight. And then when I'm measuring them off a of Soto and using a blast bat sensor, I'm seeing how all that works together. I have all that data. And so what we're doing with that algorithm is con continually updating it. But basically we know based off the strength metrics, um, what of our bats they should use, but you got to realize the reason we know that is we know the actual length and weight of our bats and we know the swing weight number of our bats. So to your question, without the true diamond science software that we have, how would you do it as a coach or a facility owner? I would say, um, use a sensor diamond kinetics blast doesn't matter to me. I've used both. We at true diamond science, we use blast, but, Look, I'm not going to put down diamond in kinetics. J.D. Vidal has been a, a super nice guy. I've known him for years. He was one of the first guys to buy into a lot of what I was doing years ago. So um, get a bat sensor and at least monitor bat speed and angle of attack with their current bat. And then um, monitor exit velocity. And there's going to be a ratio there. Ratio of bat speed to exit velocity. In golf, we call it smash factor. It's an important ratio to know because, and this is where I see a lot of the guys at Driveline who I'm, look, I'm Devin, all those guys, big fans, love their stuff. But I think where we have a disagreement is they really preach bat speed, bat speed, bat speed. And um, that's not it to me. Ball speed's it to me. Um. I see it over and over and over again where I decrease the bat speed, but I increase the efficiency of impact and increase smash factor and I increase exit velocity. Now, we can drop too much in bat speed and then we lose performance. But um, I saw it tonight. I saw a kid raise his average exit velocity 18% and his bat speed dropped two and a half miles per hour as an average. So are you, Mark, um, with Rapsodo, mm -hmm. because Rapsodo gives you spin rate, right? And so mm -hmm. from spin rate and spin axis, you can infer contact efficiency. So you're able to – is that one metrics that you're considering for, like, if this specific grip or bat length, weight, size affects contact efficiency at all? No, I, I, uh, what, do, what do the kids say? Um, that ain't it or it ain't that deep, right? 
Um, I, I think, yeah, that's great. I don't think you need to go that far down to it. I think you can. Um, for the sake of efficiency of being able to do a fitting in a certain amount of time, um, you know, we only got 30 minutes per player. Uh, I'd rather have an hour, but, you know, we've got a lot of players that, have, that line up. But, you know, it really comes down to the efficiency. What is the bat speed relative to ball speed? And I need that ratio to be really high. So what ratio? The target, what I'm finding, the target is 1.25. What does that mean? We want the ball speed, the exit velocity, to average 125% the speed of the bat. Okay? So if they're swinging the bat 50 miles an hour, oh, man, I just planted myself into a hole. Yeah, need to be hitting at sixty. Yeah. They need to be hitting the ball sixty. Hard, hard and a half. Yeah, hard. They need to be hitting the ball sixty-two and a half miles per hour. Like to make it a hundred, and the math is much easier. They need to be hitting. It. Their bat speed is a hundred. They need to hit it one hundred twenty-five. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's usually what. That's usually my go-to. Like you got a hundred mile an hour bat speed, you should hit it one hundred twenty-five. One hundred twenty-five. So yeah, so one hundred twenty-five. So they need to be hitting it. So, yeah. So, but yeah, that's, we, that's our goal. So if you're, if you're in a facility and you're, and you've got a sensor and a hit tracks or a track man or rep soda, whatever, 125 is your, that's your, that's your dream. That's where you want to live. Um, so that's all you really need to do because I, I think Nick, you're on the right track of making sure that the efficiency of movement that, you know, they're staying connected and all that stuff. But my argument would be kind of that, you know, Chad, here we go. First principle first thinking, right? Yeah. So to get 125, you have to be absolutely squared up from impact, from in, from incoming pitch angle to attack angle. And we got to square the middle of the ball up. Okay. If I'm doing that, I really don't care how I got there. As long as I can repeat it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so the goal, the goal is 125%. That's the goal tonight. Um, I had a kid start with his bat at 107, and we got to 125. The tough one was um, actually uh, J.C. Flowers' little brother was in there uh, tonight, and he came in and you know, nice player. He's going to be a freshman in high school next year, and um, you know, he came in there and he was at 122 with his bat. Well, you know, what can I do? But basically, we got to 125. You know, I'll, and I tell the parents, say, look, is that worth, you know, 280 bucks? But what I was able to do is we went another inch and a half longer of a bat with him and we increased his bat speed and we increased his velocity a ton. So, um, you know, there's a lot of factors. So that would lead to that, this. Yeah. I mean, my, 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 my wheels are turning uh -huh. like a lot, but. You see that in that kind of there's two numbers to me that stick out in in that equation is the bat speed to hand speed ratio and then the which three to one you're looking for three to one bat speed to hand speed and then the rotational acceleration number in that like you can improve those things with balance and grip size because Again, it's somewhat about it's that transfer of energy into rotation. And Nick, we've talked about this. It's kind of 
how the wrist orients, first of all, like do the wrist orient kind of in a neutral place where, where the barrel turns efficiently. You can do that by thickening the grip up, right? Right. If you th thicken the grip up, it's going to kind of neutralize that wrist. So now we're turning better. And then, um, and what, what was, and then the balance here's, here's, here's was a question. This is we're, we're in youth bats right now. True is in youth bats now. But I think what's going to be super interesting is, is when they get into BB core, where performance is pretty standard across the board. And, Who, and who's watching this Zoom, by the way? Because can, we can go into that. It'll be just members of this community. It is it just us five? Because we can no, get into this. Yeah. No, it won't be. No, I mean you don't have to go in depth. It won't. It won't. It'll, it won't have to go. You don't have to go in depth about their true what they're doing with no, their BB core bats at all. Like you don't have no, to do that's fine. But, but I'm yeah. going to lob this question up to you is how much of a difference is it going to make? And I, and I pose this question to Tim because, again, we're just scratching the surface in, in bat fittings where we can move the swing weights. Like we're going to be custom build bats and we can move the swing weights three inches up or three inches down. Because that's going to be a huge deal. Like can I put the swing weight right in the sweet spot of the bat? Or can I put it two inches below the sweet spot or two inches above the sweet spot? Like so what is where things start to get really interesting. I'd like to see bat flex, like club shafts. Like I would love to see all of this stuff. So this is a driver that I use. Okay. These right here, these are weight yep. ports. Yep. I can make this a 12 ounce or 12 gram or a two gram. And I can move them around. I can, I can hit snap hooks all day long by putting a twelve, and I have unfortunately, by putting a twelve gram weight here in the heel. That's my only rule of golf, weight. by the way. That's my only rule of golf. If the ball doesn't go left, I'm all right. <laughs> if I can aim down the right <laughs> side of the fairway, no way it's going to go either straight or cut. I can play all mm -hmm. day. If I start, all you would need, but all you would need to up. do. All you need to do in a baseball bat, it'd be right here in the middle. It's basically just create a slide that would be this wide. It doesn't have to go that far. Yeah. All, it would just, you would just slide the weight here, slide the weight there. That's coming. Yeah. That's coming. Yeah. I think it's super interesting. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I wasn't even maybe even talking about customizable. It's just having it, you know, pro guys having them custom built or colleges having them custom built to their guys where you want the swing weight right here or mm -hmm. right here. And then you yep. want this grip thickness. Let me ask you this. How, and I don't know that this is illegal. I don't think it is, but it, I mean, I guess it's maybe gray in BB core bats is like adding lead tape under their hands or under their grip above their hands. Or like I talked to a kid from Missouri about that. It's like, hey, if you want to heavy your bat up, I don't think it's against the rules as long as you don't alter the bat to just add some lead tape either under your grip. This, this particular kid, wanted a heavier bat and I told him kind of the stuff we'd done as far as like taking in loaded bats but then rebalancing the MOI by adding lead tape under their hands so that uh -huh. it because we did it at one one fall with the college team and across the board we increased bat speed like substantially mm -hmm. uh, by just doing that by just adding lead tape under their hands and then covering it with athletic tape so it doesn't you know it doesn't look abnormal but Barry right. Bonds did that. Remember when Barry Bonds had – we talked about this before. Had that huge knob. Sosa did that. They, they had that huge knob. And to me, all they're doing is like taking the heaviest barrel and then just rebalancing back so it just swings normally. Which, which is amazing to me. And I don't 
I am in the baseball community now. So, but sometimes yeah. I will, automate. I will quest, but I will question <laughs> the baseball community. And here's my, my biggest question that I, that I can't get an answer to is people keep saying, yeah, he's a power hitter and he's inloaded. Is there any more power hitter than Barry Bonds? <laughs> not, not he used a balanced bat. I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on, guys. So yeah. it might have um, started. It might have started as an inload, but when he added yeah. that huge knob to it, yeah, rebalanced the MOI, and it's perfectly balanced. All I want to know is what is how efficient are they with that balance point? I don't care if they're profile. Like I said, it, I don't care about their mentality. I don't care if they're a contact guy or whatever. That's their mentality and intent. That's not my thing. I'm I'm here to focus on what's the path of the barrel to the ball? Is it is it where his hands need it to be? Because, you know, we lose track of the ball 8 to 10 feet from the plate. We stop tracking the ball from there to impact. We don't see the ball. This is fact. This has been studied. So we lose track. Yeah, we lose track of the baseball that lasts 8 feet. Five, pro hitters 5 feet, amateur hitters 10 feet. Okay. Well, we lose track of the ball. Well, that barrel better be where my hands think it needs to be. So that's the fitting. That's the importance of the fitting. So we've got to be accurate with the barrel. I don't care if the barrel's inloaded or balanced. It, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that how does that player, the, their dynamics of their hand strength, their, their speed of the hands. You know, Jack Nicholas versus Tiger Woods. One guy's got big old butt and big old legs. The other guy's super skinny legs. Did did Jack Jack? Uh, he no, I'm not. I'm not going to make the Jack joke. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't did he not? Did he not counterweight all of his clubs like above his hands? Like he was one of the yes, first he did. Guys, like he had super heavy heads, right? And then counterweighted above his above his hand. Yeah, he had he had counterweights here at the end of the club. Yeah. Yeah, and so he could swing like this big mass club, and it didn't feel like a log to him. Yep. Super. But here's the thing, but you know, his 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 engine, right? His power source is going to be different than Tiger's, right? Look at their body yeah. types. Yeah, for sure. So you, you can't say it, but they were both power players. For so, sure. But just because he's a power player doesn't mean he's going to fit into a certain type of bat or golf club um, configuration. So, so have you done this? Let me ask you this. Have you done this or are you close to doing this? Uh, like K-Vest or 40, the impact of kinematics on grip size at all? Like That was super interesting to me one fall when, when we were doing grip size testing with the college guys because we did it like three years ago. And I said, I was kind of, I think Jeff Leach got really mad at me for kind of calling out Axbat. But, like, I said, Axbat's great. I'm just not sure it's for everybody, you know, because we found that players that that visually – we shot it on video, and visually players that had better kinematics on video, this wasn't – because I, this, I told him this. I said, I can't definitively say this because I'm not going to throw it up in the air without data that backs it up. But I said, visually, the guys that had better kinematics benefited more from from thickening their grip than guys that relied more on their hands to produce speed out in front of them. They really suffered with a big grip. Now, optimally, I would like for their kinematics to be better so they can swing a bigger grip that's going to that's gonna give them more support through impact. But, like, initially, 
how do you get to that? Or, or ha- have you even done that? Back to my initial question, have you done it with 4D or KVS or any kind of kinematic? No. And so, but you're bringing up an important point. I do want to, I just had to write this down. So I want to make sure that I'm clear that grip size is not directly related to hand size. Right. Grip size is directly related to the dynamics of the movement of the hands. So what I mean by that is just because a guy has double extra large gloves, that's not the reason we put him in that oversized grip. It was his back path and his activeness of his hands is why we put him in that bigger grip. That makes sense. So yeah. the, the, I don't, I don't want to take a static measurement, a static measurement being a guy's height is, you know, the length of his arms, the size of his hands. Those are static measurements. The baseball swing is not only dynamic, it is probably the most dynamic movement in sports. So why use static measurements to help fit a player into a dynamic movement? So the important thing here is because the baseball swing is a dynamic thing, the fitting process, the fitting, the fitting steps should be that about measuring dynamically. So I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because I need, do need to circle back on that. Don't just put a player in a really big or a really small grip because of the size of their hands. Put them in a big or small grip because of how they move. Right, and and like that goes to my point of like the K vest though is like you can really. Start I'd like to get that data. I don't. Yeah, I don't have the data. I'd like to get it. Yeah, like I know factually he's pushy. My K vest says that, or my we use forty. I like forty because now you get the you can get several different measures, but like you can get the dynamics with the bat of 40. You don't get, you don't get the dynamics with the bat in K base. You have to shoot it with a, with a blast or diamond connects, but you get it all in the 40. And that, that would be super interesting to see like what kind of effect on especially upper body kinematics you could have doing these things. Um, be super interesting. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, um, it's a moving target, but just, I guess, you know, b- before we jump to the next thing, I guess, you know, the, what I want to just make sure I get across is just don't rely on static measurements. It, static measurements should not be a part of the equation at all when do it comes to find, benefiting. Do you find, as to Nick's question, do you find that you only have 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. We can have 10 days. Obviously, the larger the, larger the data set, the more accurate it's going to be not that it's inaccurate but you have 30 minutes we're kind of getting just a glimpse and a snapshot um obviously just like you said hitting baseball is it's i mean kid could come in tired uh slept five hours like fails the vertical jump test that we do every day so he's super fatigued and and you don't get you know as accurate a snapshot as you would you know over the course of time and you know, I think it's super – I think, again, the interaction between the hands and the bat and the transitioning of energy. I told the story, Mark. I don't know if you've seen it, and we can move on after this if you want because I got some golf questions. But I told the story yesterday on the Q&A roundtable. I watched the – remember Adam Savage that was on Mythbusters? Yeah. Okay. He's got a new show that's called Savage Builds, and he built an Excalibur sword out of a meteorite. That's not the story. 
he got a sword like guy, a trainer to like to to show him how to like use a sword, and he was showing him how to cut through a bottle, and the and the and the guy that was the train the sword trainer guy said, you know, just just try to keep it connected and just keep this. Don't try to add to the sword because the sword is what's carrying the energy, and if you try to add to it, it's just going to bounce off. It's going to stop cutting. And so Savage, Savage hits it a couple of times and like, you, you know, you're cutting a bottle and the sword's got to go in like this. Savage is kind of going in like this. But one time he gets it and he starts cutting the bottle. But then he says, and then the bottle, then something happens. And, 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 and then the guy asks him, like, what happened? He said, well, I felt some resistance in the sword and I started to add to it. And the bot and the sword stopped cutting and started ripping the bottle. It has been on my mind for like three days about how the how the energy how we get the energy into the bat, but how we can dissipate the energy in the bat by trying to add to it or flip at it or you know, so all this bat fitting and all this interaction is coming at a right time because I watched that with my son like two days ago, and the, that sword video has been on my mind like for it's killing me. It's killing me. Uh, I, I know you. I know you enough to know that you, you probably haven't slept since you saw that. Yeah, like like he was. <laughs> Like the way he worded it about the sword and the sword having the energy and just keep just keep turning. Don't try to like cut the bottle. Just keep like how much energy do we lose from from hands to bat or from from body to hands to bat? Like it's crazy. So so, so we'll leave it with two things real quick. Um, the, here's a disclaimer. I'm going to sound like a commercial. The cool thing that True is doing is they do have a 120 day fit guarantee because of the exact reason you just mentioned, right? Because it's so dynamic. And, oh, yeah, one thing we didn't touch on was in the bat fitting, I definitely do front toss or front throw. The T is, is it, like, we go. let's go back to dynamic. That's too static. Yeah. I need a dynamic environment because that batter's box is probably the most dynamic environment of any sport, okay? Any discipline in any sport, um, uh, like even pole vaulting looks – complicated and stuff but you put the pole vault in the same tray every time imagine if the tray was a different height right before you put it in there right how hard would that be that's what hitting is so um i I would say that the 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 120 day fit guarantee is there so kids can buy that we we go through the whole 30 minute process of fitting and and i'm soft tossing we're, we're doing all that measuring and stuff but when they go in the field and play in a game that's a different environment, right? So the the people that that purchase a true bat actually get 120 days to call our warranty department and say, "Hey, we bought the 29 and a half, you know, drop eight. I I, th- I think we want to go to the 30, drop 10, and and the balance instead of the end loaded." And we just go, "Okay, we send them a label. And they sh- we exchange the bat, no charge." How Within 120 uh, days? Real quick, I don't. I know we want to. Man, this is so good. Like I could. Oh, we got thirty minutes. We try to keep it to an hour and a half, Mark. We got thirty minutes. We're good, baby. I do want to touch on. I do want to touch on some golf stuff. So let's do. It. Let's go. Um, uh, can I, I, oh, no, go ahead, Nick. Nick, go ahead. Um, uh, I, I might have just lost it. Honestly, um, dang it, man. Guarantee uh, transition of energy through the hands to the bad. Yada yada yada. Real quick, let me. While you think about it, let me. The other thing I wanted to cover. So you talked about. The way I explain it, right, let me see if I can turn my camera a little bit. Okay, so I will tell people that I will swing my arm back and forth, right? And so I can do like, I'll do it like this in this video. 
okay, my arm is going the same speed, but what's going faster, my elbow or my fingertips? Uh, your yeah. fingertips. Yeah, the, yeah the, because they're yeah. traveling a longer distance in the same amount of time as the elbow, right? Because of the distance from the fulcrum. The fulcrum is the shoulder, right? So the further I get away, this is the same thing in golf, right? The further I get away from the point of turning, the axis, okay, the faster this is going to be. So in baseball, as soon as you're starting to swing, same thing in golf, as soon as you start to swing, and then like you said with the sword, your hands try to speed up, you've taken the fulcrum and, and, the, and the axis point and the turning point from your sternum, and you've shortened it to, you know, instead of being from your sternum to the end of the bat, now it's from your hands to the end of the bat, much shorter. So you feel like you're putting more effort into it, you're slowing the bat down. Mm. Yep. No, I love that. It's yeah. a smaller axis. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, Mark, you kind of were in golf during the transition of – you and I have talked about this. Yeah. You were in golf during the transition of, like, TrackMan started to come in and, and, and it was it – was, it was proving things in golf that people had said forever that wasn't necessarily true. So you have you, lived you put that nicely. It was wrong one yeah. time already, and now you're living through it again. Um, just touch on, um, just touch on, because you've told me the stories a few times about you know some of the things that got said, and then. I'll give you my thoughts on on how the how the transition starts to speed up because I think I'm pretty sure how it happened in golf. But why don't, why don't you tell the why don't you go back and tell the story about how the te- how we transitioned from golf into tech and then got through the got through the, just the muddiness of of it. So um, I ran a golf academy and um, I I gave golf instruction. I tried to play professionally in the mid '90s. Uh, short game was awful. And um, relative to the pros. And so uh, I started teaching. I really enjoyed it. And um, best example I could give is I would teach ball flight. And I would teach shaping shots. And the PGA of America is, a, is an association of 35,000 individuals in the country. So when you go to a golf shop, there's a PGA professional. This is not a PGA Tour player. These are the people that run golf shops and give lessons. They are an accredited. You have to go through schooling, um, years of schooling to become a PGA of America, PGA professional. Part of the schooling is the instruction part. And they have an actual instruction manual that they've had for years. I'm talking like 80 years. In that instruction manual, it tells you that the ball starts on the path of the swing and then curves to where the face is pointing at impact. So we all taught that for years. I taught it. I had players that won the state amateur in Florida. That's a pretty prestigious tournament, okay? If you're winning the state amateur in the state of Florida, uh, you're a pretty good player. Um, State high school champions, they were my students. I was teaching really good players, so I could have considered myself a really good instructor that I knew what I was doing. Um, once TrackMan and FlightScope, so I started using the FlightScope in 2004, and um, and then TrackMan came along, and I used both. 
once that data started coming out, we started realizing, wait a second, it's the opposite of what we've been teaching. And what we learned is the ball, I don't care the path of your swing, the ball's going to start with an 85% influence of where the face is pointing. And then the ball is going to curve off that line with the relative path to that club face. Which means this. In a practical application for all these years, if you had a problem with a slice, you were told to close the club face. To stop slicing. What we learned is that the slice is actually because your club face is closed and your path is left of it for a right-handed golfer. To hit a draw, you don't want a closed club face. You need an open club face. And so we go from trying to tell people one thing, and, and then we had with the data, I had to admit to myself first that I've been wrong. Here, I, I was an accomplished player and then an accomplished instructor. I could have easily said, like so many baseball instructors I see, I've played the game. I coach these great players. I know what I'm talking about. You and your data are full of crap. Which a I lot had of guys to, did, by the yeah, way, golf. which we all, which we all did until I mean, it was like but, it was like to hear you tell the story. I mean, it was like anarchy in golf. It was. When, there was a guy named James happened, Lights. This happened. It was complete anarchy. So I had to admit to myself and that that I was wrong. And when I did, I was so thankful I did because all of a sudden it made sense because I would do it and then I'd match up the data with the video and I was like, holy smokes, I've been teaching the opposite of what really happens. Because you're dealing with dynamic players and good players. The reason, even though they thought they had a close club face for a draw, it's just because their eye saw the desired ball flight, so their cognitive learning just knew to repeat that. It doesn't matter what they described was happening. That doesn't mean that was what was happening. The way that we learn is if we're getting a result that we want, we're just going to repeat that action. It doesn't matter if the description of our action is accurate or not. It's irrelevant. Right? I'm not going to sit there and tell a player who's hitting absolute strike golf shots and knocking the pin down. I'm not going to say, hey, you're wrong. No, I'm going to reinforce. I'm going to study and measure what he's actually doing so that if he comes to back to me, right, and he's struggling a little bit, I can go to the notes and I can measure and I can see the, the changes and do it. That's what we have to do as instructors. So let, let's take about the fight. So what happened in golf is in about 2007, 2008, when the data started to become irrefutable, there was about a five-year battle of the, the, the data set people. So Trackman Maestro, Joe Mayo, uh, yep. James Lights out of tell, New Orleans. That's how Mark found me. That's right. Talking he, he, Trackman Maestro on Twitter about, <laughs> about something. About Mark, something. That's how Mark found me. That is. And I got, in, I got hooked up. And that was at the end of the, the, the golf data battle. And then when I saw the battle Chad was waging, I'm like, this is now starting again in baseball. And then I got into this. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know why I did this. But um, it took about five years of absolute. And now it's all 100% accepted. And the, the best way to give the example is you used to see the PGA Tour. So if you've ever seen the driving range during the week of a tour event, you'd see that David Ledbetters and, and all these big name, you know, Hank Haney, all these instructors 
would be walking around with a camcorder, right? And recording the player, and then the player would go and look at the video and hit. Now, on a PJ Tour event, none of them have camcorders. They've all got their own TrackMan or flight scope. Some of them, but I think DeChambeau does, has two. Mm-hmm. I think he uses And then they've got an iPad in front of them. They hit a shot, and they look at their numbers. If their movements and numbers are good, they don't care. They don't care what it looks like. So what golf has done has, has, has transitioned from aesthetic to functional. And, and, and baseball is still, still in love with the aesthetics of the baseball swing. And it needs to move to the function because pitchers are going to start throw. There's going to be a whole lot more guys throwing 105. And this whole wind up your swing and load and have all this time, they ain't going to cut it no more. Sorry, Chase. But, you know, Chase knows that. (laughs) So the (laughs) what needs to happen. So golf basically transitioned from um, aesthetics to function and baseball. It's just this is not there yet. Everyone still talks about the way a swing looks on video. And I'm telling you, man, that ain't it. That ain't it. No, it ain't even close. Um, I think actually. I think actually Doug Dvorak told me this story. I don't know if you know Doug. He's down in Windermere. His son played, I don't know. Doug played on tour, though. He played on a couple of tour events, so he was a good golfer. But he told me, he was around He was around during that time. And he told me, I said, Doug, like, like how did it happen? Like, how did, how did that happen? And he told me, he said, you know, he said, in golf, what you have to understand, and he says, there are only, like, what is there, 130 or 150 tour cards? How many tour cards are there? Tour cards, um, PGA, like, like the top. Yeah, like two hundred something. But yeah, so a, a full field event is one hundred and forty four players. Yeah, okay. And then so, a, a and an invitational is going to be about one hundred to one hundred twenty players. So he said, he said, you got to understand. He said, that's all there is. There is no more. And he said, what happened was there were a lot of okay players that started taking tour cards from guys that were good players by using the data. He said when they started taking the spots on tour and they, and they started catching up to the Tigers and, the, and, and they were using all this information, those guys all of a sudden took notice and was like, oh, shit, like I can't. Like my livelihood depends on having one of these 150 cards. And yep. if I don't, if I don't, if I don't embrace this, then these guys are just going to keep coming up with with better information than what I've got and taking my spot on tour. What's amazing about baseball is it's it's the same thing. I mean, there are only call it three hundred tour cards in the big leagues. Yeah, and what's going to have to happen is guys are going to have to start coming up from the bottom and taking spots from guys in the big leagues, taking their tour card with developing on better information and then all of a sudden when the players start to take notice it's gonna it's gonna go fast it's gonna go really fast it's not gonna matter at that point what the coaches have to say i think it, it, are- it, and now that you say that i bet you the reason it's slower to take in baseball is because of guaranteed contracts in golf in golf there's no guaranteed contract yeah you miss the cut you miss a cut you ain't getting paid Right, and the the equipment. Greg Rose said this on the Eric Cressy podcast. The equipment manufacturers run golf, so they want their 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 whole thing is in R and D and technology and development. And so, the better they can get guys to play, and the more guys they can get on tour, the more money they're going to make. 
baseball's ran by owners. And so they have no vested interest in like seeing Johnny with a true bat play better. That's a great point. You know, if they were, if the owners were in the equipment world, then they would be investing into all the R and D because they have to sell bats or, and like Titleist runs golf. And so Titleist wants to make me down here in wise Virginia hit better drives. And so, you got TPI, then you got fittings. And so they're trying to make me play better. So I buy more clubs. Can we, um, <coughs> I'm sorry. I don't have a better segue for this. We don't have much time left. I want to talk a little bit about some stuff that I've been working on recently, um, relative to, it kind of fits in Nick about what we talked about with, um, the bat fitting. So one thing I noticed, and, and, and I'll back up a little bit. Remember, I'm not a swing instructor for baseball. I'm an observer. Oh, you know more than you let on. I, I point that out to people on Twitter. You I'm an observer. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'm an observer, right? And, and I focus really hard on trying to define first what is happening. Mm-hmm. And then once I can define what is happening, I want to define why. Mm-hmm. And then that has, when you answer those two questions, the how answer takes care of itself. So um, two things I want to talk about. First is, is, is I want to get across to everybody watching this. If you have a bat sensor, use it on every tool you have in your shop. If they're swinging PVCs, put the bat sensor on it. Monitor that. If they're using an in-loaded bat, put the bat sensor on the in-loaded bat. Measure what that player is doing with that. If they're using a overloaded but counterbalanced bat, put the bat sensor on that. Measure what they do. Here's why. What I am finding, and I've been testing some high school players and some D1 college players here in town, so these are good players, is I take four bats. I have them bring their gamer. I've got a wiffle ball bat. I've got an inloaded bat. And then I've got an over, um, uh, uh, a, a overweighted balance bat. I put it, I, they hit five, uh, hits off the tee with each one of those four, same location and everything. And then I just measure their movements with those four. And it is not consistent or uniform the difference between those and how the player reacts. So why is that important? Even though I'm a believer in variability and what that does to the ability for the player to learn how to move, I think we need to be really conscious of the fact that if I see, here's one thing I noticed with the overload bat and loaded with a couple players, their hand speed and their bat speed dropped dramatically. If I'm working on that player's bat speed, that's probably not the tool I want him using in practice. So what I want to do with the sensor and these players and what I suggest you guys be open to is create a method whether it's a once a month kind of thing every couple months, when you do your assessments and player evaluations, add in that. 
take their when you're looking at their gamer numbers and you find the holes that you want to address as an instructor make sure that one of the whether it's a light bat or inloaded or balanced which one of those gets them closer to filling those gaps and holes which one of those tools that's the emphasis in my book like so if i'm trying to get what i'm noticing with the balance the overload but balance bat is guys are on plane a lot longer okay so if you got a guy struggling with that that's probably a really good tool for him the inloaded bat might deteriorate those numbers that are already not where you want them to be as an instructor so to me it's kind of like if we're having him swing that a little bit in the training are we reinforcing and making bad habits worse i don't know but what i found and it's limited but um and i've got a few other guys doing this but what i found is it's not like every player reacts the same to an inloaded bat and every player reacts the same to a wiffle ball bat and every player reacts the same to a balance bat they don't because it kind of goes back to the thing about Jack Nicholas Tiger Woods. Their source of energy, their source of power, every player's source of power and energy and, and movement is going to be different. So with the baseball swing being so dynamic and so changing, and it's just not the same, um, it's one thing, I don't, know, I don't know how much you guys have done this, if you've done it at all, but you know, it's kind of late in the call and I can stay on forever. Have you done? Have you thought about that? And um, I mean, have you done it? I mean, I, I don't know if you, you've done that. If you really track players with that, are you asking me? Um, yeah, not not specific to all of the bats at one time. Mm -hmm. um, there was a time, Nick. I think I actually recently took it off. You need to like. You have to. You have to get creative on how you rig the sensor on these things. But the old, <laughs> actually old Diamond Kinetics rig works pretty good with a lot of different bats because you can put it like between the way we load, you know, the way that my bats, you load them. You can put the sense, you can put the old Diamond Kinetics sensor like between the weight. And so a little bit, a little bit, but not a lot. That's an interesting, that's an interesting point. Um, as far as like addressing specific needs and swing design. Um, I like that a lot. Yeah. I think it makes sense what you're saying, Mark. It's like it goes back to comments and sayings. If something is so blatantly like we're going for, like you said, we're going for not that result, like something totally opposite, like why would you even use it? You know, like, yeah. Things are, like we talk about like, most things that you measure, it tends to be common sense. This makes sense. You know, and it's like, and, and um, I'll, I'll admit that I went into this project hoping to find one thing. I found the opposite. <laughs> I'll, I'll admit that I was looking to confirm a bias in a theory I had. And what I learned, what it, that just wasn't the case. And so what I was going into this project looking for was being able to say, hey, based on the bat's weight, and balance point, it's going to affect your swing this way and that way. And it didn't. Because everybody's individualized. Yeah, I'm telling you, um, 
there was there was there's two players from uh, Ju that were swinging, and they did the same process and everything. And one guy's swing went negative on the, uh, the we're talking the end loaded bat went more negative by twenty degrees. And then the other guy saying the swing bat the swung the same bat, and his swing changed like thirteen degrees the other direction. So we're talking like a 33-degree angle of attack spread on the same bat from two different players. So mm-hmm. I was going in thinking all end-loaded bats are going to create more positive angle. All balanced bats are going to create negative angle. And it didn't. Mm-hmm. And what I started to do, then I, then I, I was like, oh, crap. So then I, I had some more players try it. Then I had a couple um, other guys try it. And all of a sudden I'm learning that Jeez, this is really individual, you know? And so, and it goes back to the first thing we talked about today with bat fitting. It really starts at the hands. What is the dynamic of the hands? And then how are they reacting to what they're holding? Mm-hmm. So you got to be paying attention to two things at once. Um, and, and I guess the last point about when you're observing the sensor data kind of throw out any of the late hits if that makes sense like i'm not going to critique a guy's angle of attack if he was really late because it's going to be more if he's on time that's those are the numbers i'm going to pay attention to you know if he's hitting it out front so but that's something that it's you know i I had an idea and i was going in to confirm how smart i was (laughs) um (laughs) <laughs> and all it did was confirm what a dumbass I was. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. every day, man, every day, yeah. that's close to my blessing and my curse. It's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have any fear of but being. I can't, I can't ask you enough and, and to or recommend enough, I guess, to, um, to really, anytime you have a player using a training bat, put a sensor on it and monitor them. So I'm the thing you see me tweet about and everything all the time is measure, measure, measure. It doesn't mean you're telling the player everything you're seeing. Okay. No. That doesn't, it doesn't mean that you as an instructor, you as a coach, you have a responsibility to measure and log as much as you can. Yeah. Um, I, I got, I got two quick questions. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I could go on. This stuff is good, man. This is chewy. Um, but so like with, a creating a bat on like a DK sensor, um, you know, I have to choose what bat they're using. Can you like choose like PVC or Wiffle like on a no. DA? Like, how do you like how do you like create a bat like that on a on a? Just get the length right. Just get the length just, right. Just get and the length right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, my other PVC. Question. Yeah, but real quick, PVC. I mean, if you use a PVC, it, you want to know where the sweet spot is. So if he uses a thirty-three inch bat. Just just put 33-inch bat because what you're trying to do is find out what's the sweet spot relative to his hands and the sensor are. That's, okay. So it doesn't matter what the length of the, of the PVC is. Just it's, it's, it's the distance from the hands to the sweet spot is all that really matters. So We, do, we use this uh, PVC. Chad uses it more than probably I do. They're really thick and short PVC. Awesome. Yeah. So I'd love to see his thing. Let's see the numbers. Like. Like we, we like aesthetically probably what it does to the player and we probably like that, but let's measure what's it really doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. All right. I got, 
Go ahead if you got something. No, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I want you to finish because I got one last thing I want to cover tonight. Okay. I've been waiting to ask you this, man. So um, I'm a – Okay. No, but here's the answer. Tell them until you can't see any other ingredients. That's right. That's That's right. That's the whole answer. (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, man. Okay. Before we can get back to that, I guess. Um, So, like, at at Bowling Green, like, a lot of the feedback that I was trying to give our hitters swing to swing, if they wanted that feedback – a lot of times I would let them determine when I was giving this type of feedback. But the primary feedback that I was giving them was like ball flight, right? Like that was slice or that was uh, more draw or more hook or fade. Um, so, so that they understand like the relationship between like their swing direction, vertically, horizontally, like how they're impacting the ball, whether it was like high spin, low spin, um, if it was more vertical bat angle or horizontal bat angle. And really, like, because you're like you're saying, like, it just comes down to that, right? That bat ball collision. So, like, I didn't have a lot of technology, but really, all I was trying to do is direct the hitter's attention to just bat ball collision. Just if you get that right, like, you'll be fine. Yes. Um, so, like, my question is, in the hitting setting with technology, right? Like, how would you um, give that feedback to a hitter? Like, how would you approach, like, uh, or w- how often would you? The timing of it, um, just more so about that feedback. How would you approach that with a hitter? Um, you got to know the player if they want to know the information or not. Um, you've got to learn as a coach how to translate to that player. You've got to collect the data. And then you got to know how that player cognitively learns and, and, uh, and takes what, they, what they're hearing and applies it to their movement. It's the, coaching's the hardest thing out there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you know everything's your fault, but you better not take any of the credit. You got to make sure the player takes the credit because you got to build them up with confidence when they're playing well. So uh, you got to know the player. I, I think um, you're asking a question. I don't mean to to elude your question, but it, it depends on the player. Yeah, your job as a coach to know why, and then be ready for the question. Don't don't tell the player why. You got to you got to lead them along. You want them, your job is to make them feel like they came to the conclusion. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Make You've sure. done your job the best when you feel like you have educated them enough about everything and you sit back and when they are doing stuff, it's like they get it. Mm-hmm. That's the goal. The Would goal you is say to not that, me. Yeah, like Chad says all the time, and I love that. That's one of my favorite things to say to communicate to players is like, like the right now, when you first come in, it's probably high dependence, but when you leave, it's got to be independent or interdependent. It's co-participation. It's not me just commanding you. It's, it's a right. democracy, but uh, like you, would you say that that type of feedback's like, I mean, as good as the feedback that you can give a hitter, like swing, swing, um, like what other, what other, I, like, let, let's give an example of what happened tonight. Um, and Chad, I sent you the screenshot. I don't know if we got time to pull them up, yeah, but basically, that there was um, a player who I know, six foot two kid, big strong kid, and he was hitting. And I, I was done with my fittings. And I said, "Hey, come jump in the cage." So here, put the bat sensor on. I'm looking at his, his bat speeds: 55, 56, 57 miles an hour. I'm like, I hadn't seen this kid hit in six, seven months, and I'm watching him hit. 
And he's just letting the ball travel to the middle of the plate. So he's not using his legs. He's not turning or nothing. So the instinct, I think, of, and of every instructor is to get him to rotate and to clear his hips and stuff. But using first principles thinking, if he's not striking the ball at the right, the ball's getting to the plate. If he's not striking the ball at the right spot, you know, 12 to 18 inches in front of the plate, telling him to move isn't going to help him at all. If I get him to strike it out there, I've got a pretty good confident feeling that everything else is going to go right. So I said, I went and got a, um, a uh, rubber plate and I put it 12 inches in front of home plate. I said, when the ball's coming, strike it over this. Do not let the ball pass this area. Mm-hmm. That's all I said to him. 65 mile an hour bat speed, roping him. His bat speed increased 10, 8, 9, 10 miles an hour. We've been doing a little bit of that, and I don't want to take – No, no, it's fine. No, so, so the last thing is – and so what I said to him, I said – and he could feel it. He knew it was good. I, and I said, I said, hey, now there's no wrong answer here. I said, but what did you feel like you had to do to hit it over there? He goes, I had to clear. Yeah. yeah. But yes, right? So – if we if we get the hit so you've got to know and you've got to measure and you've got to know what causes what as a coach mm-hmm. so rather than telling the guy hey look i'm measuring you and your hips aren't opening fast enough so you need to know as a coach okay that's happening why is this happening and then create a reaction in the player because of dynamic movement create the scenario where that's going to happen yep so all of a sudden he's hitting it out front. Everything that he and his coaches worked on, we fixed in literally 30 seconds mm-hmm. because of point of impact. With an external approach. It, was, it wasn't thinking internally. At the and time. now he – and then I said, hey, you're going to miss a few. That's fine. You need to find what you're going to have to change in your swing. And now, then he, he spent the rest of the night. And I said, you may, it may be in your legs. It may be in your hips. It may be in your shoulders. I don't care. There's no wrong answer. Only you'll know what is right for you. Yeah. I love that. And last thing I want to say is like, we've been using like bats and even like tape to represent like a specific distance from the front of the plate and just asking the hitter to try to make contact in front of that as a constraint. Awesome. Yeah. Create that environment that makes them react to it in a way. And this is what, this goes back to what I talked about with the the weighted bats and using a sensor. Collect data. See why your job, our job, is to observe, measure, and know why. Mm-hmm. It's not to share that information with the player. That's so good. Does that, that make sense? I mean, yeah, that's, that's not our job. Our job is to, if I did, we got to simplify this, right? And that's the hard part is, is all I, you, we could all break down for 30 minutes, all the different the way the feet, the way he's going to land, the way his hips move, and the whole kinetic chain of movement to hit the ball out front. But it doesn't matter to him because he's not hitting it out front yet. Right? I sit, I can't sit there and tell him, hey, you need to move first here and your kinetic chain isn't working right. Well, right. if we're not hitting it out front yet, that's all a waste of time because it's all going to change once he starts to learn how to be on time again. i got to reteach him the swing. So first principles, we got to get – the most important part of hitting a baseball is impact, right? Yeah. So let's get impact right, and then let's work our way back from that. Yeah. 
it's like, okay, one last thing, Chad, I swear. Okay. So it's like a pitcher's pitch design. Like, why don't we call it batted ball design instead of swing design? Because it's, because it's, I'm I'm stealing that. I'm going to steal that and call that mine. That's awesome. I love that. Batted ball design, not, you know what I'm saying? It's like, you don't call it like, you know, mechanic design for Hold on, I'm going, I'm going to register battedballdesign.com real quick. Okay, we're good. <laughs> I love it. That's great. That's, yes. I've never heard that. And that's phenomenal. It is batted ball design. It is. Yeah. The ball is just doing what the bat was doing at impact. That's it. Yeah. No, you're right. 100% right. Look at Chase. I'm just Hold on. The hitters are, their hitters are. Figured it out. So, so Chase, know, Chase knows where I stand on this. Pitchers, pitchers should. I agree with some of the, the pitching guys on Twitter. They need to focus on their mechanic. They need to throw strikes first. They don't need to learn to throw hard. They don't need to get strong. They don't need to learn how to be a move athletic. Just hey, throw strikes like eighty-two right on the corner. It'll be nice. Chad, you got to compete. Yeah, you got to have grit. Compete. You got to locate. All those guys do that. Do that. Let's focus more on that than we are designing guided missiles and stupid eighteen hundred spin rate two seamers that just hit me in the ankle. Hey, on the bright side, we got beat in the championship game by a team who squeezed twice and they ran poles after the game. So God, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I'm not gonna let you hear the end of it. When I see you, it's so bad. <laughs> you got to focus on the fundamentals, Chase. Fundamentals win. Got to compete. Hey, you got you got to be up there and be a competitor. That's right. You got to. Mark, attack that zone. Attack that zone. That's right. Mark, it's awesome, dude. Again, about when we do these things, we always tell the birds, "We'll probably do part two. Like, you know, I hate to cut it off and. But I don't want to keep the people that are watching this like three hours. We'll cut it to an hour and a half, and then we'll do a part two because we yeah. could, we can. Not like not like any of us northern people are doing anything up here. East Tennessee, so, though, so that's good. Yeah, but yeah, just if if I could just recap, you know, the, the what I wanted to get across tonight was measure, 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 observe, um, observe as much as you can, question your assumptions. Uh, I would, I've learned the most from the golf swing and now to this, when, when I, I go in with an assumption, I don't do it as much anymore. I still, you know, I still look, I'm still prideful and, and I feel like I do know things, but man, I, it just keeps being over and over of it. Just the more questions I try to prove one thing I ended up with seven more questions. Right. But I think our job is as observers, coaches, uh, instructors, whatever you want to say is, um, we we can't measure too much, but we can communicate it too much. So learn how to measure as much as possible. If you're using um, swing tools, um, whether it's a half bat, paddle, uh, weighted bat, whatever, find a way to put a sensor on that and see how that's affecting the player. Because guess what? Not everybody is going to be using a paddle bat and it helps them. They might be hurting their swing. Until you measure, you don't know. You don't know. Got it, dude. You the man. And if you if you get anything from this, you get so much cheese you can't see anything below it. You can see. Hold on. And Mark's wife, by the way, 
not on here. Let me let me make this one before we go. Boomer. Baker. Mark loves Baker Mayfield. He was gonna come on. He was gonna come <laughs> on with that OU helmet on. That's what he said anyway. Boomer Sooner. That's get right. Your get your helmet smack in there. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Correct, coach. That's I'm right. Competing. That was good. Let me wait till he puts his headphones back on. I hear you. I got you now. You got me? You got me? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So that's it. One last point. Mark's wife has the best Twitter handle on Twitter. Never too much bling. It's the best Twitter <laughs> handle there is. <laughs> <laughs> Never too much bling can go Never. can go in a lot of ways with players that we have, if they just throw ninety five, they can wear all the bling they want and all the bling they want. If you have if you throw ninety five, never too much bling. Ever. You hit, right. you hit dangers and this monster four hundred and fifty foot bombs, you can wear whatever you want. So my um my son is about sixty days away from moving up to your neck of the woods, fellas. And uh, he's gonna be he's gonna be in your hands and he's gonna be uh, Chad. I know, he and Garrett, that'll be awesome. Yeah, I'm excited, and I, he's really pumped to be up there. And yeah, we'll take good it care. So, of it looks so nice up there. I'm afraid I'm gonna not, never see him again until I go see him. So right, well, you can see us too, so that'd be good. Yeah, I like that. That's a good thing. All right, dude. Thank you, Mark. We'll try to get Thanks we'll try to get a we'll try to get a data house roundtable going with Johansson and Nate and Tim, oh. and Julian, and all of us. That's the next. That's kind of the next plan. We may get Julian one on one, and then do that. Oh, the data house was that was special, man. That was special <laughs> in your hometown or in your stomping grounds, That's right. Texas. All right, that man. Was- Take care, dude. Thank you, dude. Fellas, I'll see you all. Chase, I'll see you Wednesday. I'll see you, yep. Nick. I don't know if I'll see you tomorrow. If I don't, I'll talk. Maybe. Yeah. All right. See you, dude. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it, man. All right. Thank you. Bye.